Last October, while walking along a sidewalk somewhere in Philadelphia, my friend told me about her experiences touring with her band during the previous summer. The band she toured in is from Raleigh and they embarked on a multi-state tour. Besides the initial coolness of just being in a touring band, I was intrigued by how connected her band was to other similar ones from across the country. That same night, we attended a house show put on by some of her friends from the summer tour, and it made me wonder how local acts can book shows around the country and what connections are necessary to do so. I had already been playing with the idea of creating an audio documentary, so the inspiration hit me like a thunderbolt. I should investigate how connections are made in local, do-it-yourself, or DIY music scenes, specifically my own in Raleigh, and how it affects the climate as a whole. Raleigh is a small, fast-growing city of 451,000 residents. I have lived in Raleigh since 2000, and I'd be confident in saying I know the city in and out. Over the past 17 years, Raleigh has flourished from a grungy capital city to a slightly less grungy city with more hip restaurants and juice bars. However, I wasn't really aware of the music scene until I came to college at NC State and joined the radio station, 88.1 WKNC. My parents were never that into music to check out local gigs, and I definitely wasn't cool enough in high school to get invited to shows. It's quite odd to have lived somewhere your entire life, yet know nothing about one super important and special facet of your city. Below the surface, Raleigh has a great music scene. While I have primarily been to indie rock shows, Raleigh also boasts a pretty good punk hardcore scene, from what I've heard, and the beginnings of a new hip-hop scene with artists like King Mez. It's not really surprising, given Raleigh's proximity to seven universities and colleges. Lots of young, passionate people with time and some disposable income. While I love going to shows at venues around the Raleigh area, there's something rewarding about cultivating artists just like you and your friends. While each level of music has its own perks, you just don't build the same relationships at big name national concerts that you make going to a friend's house venue each weekend. You generally don't get to meet people traveling from across the country, and you're not exposed to new types of music when you've heard of every name on the bill. Plus, my personal motto holds true. The smaller the band, the better the t-shirt. In addition to just falling in love with indie and DIY in general, these sentiments are what inspired me to create this documentary. I think it's important to look at all of the facets of DIY music and culture. Obviously, DIY is not a new concept. The anti-consumerism of the hippies and the punk rock kids in the late 60s and 70s helped launch the idea, and it gained strength in the 90s and is still holding strong today with the rise of the internet, especially in the indie rock community. So before we dive into Raleigh's music scene, we need to take a trip back in time. Connections in niche music scenes are not a new concept. Connections in the industry have played an important role since the days of punk. But to explore these early connections, we first have to take a trip back to 1970s Manchester, England. June 4, 1976. The Sex Pistols are playing a show at the Lesser Free Trade Hall in Manchester, which would reignite the Manchester scene and become one of the most influential gigs in history. It may seem absurd that one performance could be so influential, 
but many future key actors were present at the show. Members of the Buzz Joy Division, The Fall, founders of Factory Records, and even Morrissey himself. Punk and post-punk originated in Manchester at a desolate time. The working class was constantly haunted by labor strikes and unemployment. Housing was dilapidated and was constantly being knocked down to try and mitigate the widespread poverty. Violence was the rule, and fights broke out in almost any large public gathering. But out of this social headache, punk was born. The punk movement in the 1970s was intriguing because it was a scene that was actualized because of intercommunity connections. To clarify, what I mean here is that punk is a genre that relied heavily on peer influence to take off. After the so-called gig that changed the world, everyone in and around Manchester was picking up a guitar and starting a post-punk band. Punk was equally a musical movement as it was a social movement. In the late 70s, being a punk carried more weight than being a fan of many genres today. Punks were unpopular with the locals for being freakish and throwing rowdy shows. They were hated by the nationalists after the Sex Pistols released the provocative song, God Save the Queen. And punks were loathed by local street gangs whose members often raided punk clubs to start fights. Due to Manchester's contempt for their movement, the punks formed small, close-knit communities. They built off each other, often influencing and guiding other bands. For example, the Buzz mentored Joy Division, and in turn, Joy Division mentored lesser-known bands like Crispy Ambulance and Section 25. In this way, a vast web of necessary connections began to form throughout Manchester and the rest of England. Scenes like the Manchester punk one require both a geographical area and a sizable group to happen. Without the common experiences that the early punks shared, the Manchester community, much less the world punk movement, could not have happened. This is why I decided to investigate our local DIY music scene in Raleigh. I wanted to learn how bands from across the country could find out about our house show venues, make connections, and book shows. Does our local scene operate like the early Manchester punk scene, or does it have its own mode of operation? Luckily, I had a lot to work with within our little local scene. 88.1 WKNC, North Carolina State University's college radio station, alone has a plethora of connections and students involved in the local music domain, as well as musicians and show hosts alike. In the vicinity of NC State, there are three active house show venues, and two-thirds of them are owned by WKNC DJs. To me, the most obvious place to start was to interview bands and DIY venue owners to find out how the behind-the-scenes action works in Raleigh. I decided to contact the owners of the venue of the first house show I ever attended, Matt Brown and David F. Smith, who currently run and book shows for the Radio Shack. The Radio Shack is a deceptively large house somewhere on the outskirts of NC State. They have been running shows for the past few years and have had some pretty impressive lineups like Free Cake for Every Creature, Emily Yasina, who plays with Alex G., Spencer Radcliffe, and Pine Grove. I attended my first house show at Radio Shack one fateful October night in 2015, and it forever changed my outlook on live music. Cheesy, I know, but until you've been to a house show, Music is completely different and much more impersonal. The room where the band plays is actually super tiny. Everyone crowds around the musicians under a soft red light while some old VHS tape plays on the screen behind the band, accompanying their music in an odd but perfect way. 
If you can't actually see the band up close because the room is packed or you prefer not to stand in a sweat lodge, there are five old TVs in the hall that Matt has linked to cameras in the main room where you can watch the live action in a grainy, nostalgic fashion. Radio Shack is incredibly well run. They consistently have shows with different lineups, most of the time from out of state. How do they do it? How do they make the connections necessary to run a successful house show venue? My name is Matthew Brown. I've been at WKNC in some sort of capacity for the last like five years, five years, four years, four complete years. Yeah, uh, last year I was the general manager, and uh, this year I've been uh, keeping it fairly low, helping put on shows at my house. Oh, we're called the Radio Shack. So I first got involved in WKNC mostly because it's the station that I listened to in high school. Going up through high school, like, you know, just listening in the parking lot or whatever, hanging out after school, we'd normally just have KNC on. And then there was a guy named Alex Sanchez who was on the cross-country team with me, and he was on WKNC. He was like two years ahead of me, so he graduated. But yeah, he's one of the first people I kind of talked to. So a couple years back, I kind of got involved a little bit with running some sound at uh, my friend Walt's place uh, when no one else could. And so that was kind of my first dip into it, I suppose. But after a while, that place got shut down. So at that point, stuff kind of transferred over to another spot. And then there was some stuff that went down, and they kind of stopped doing shows. And so we were kind of at this point where no one was having uh, uh, house shows in Raleigh, or at least no one that, like, the college kids knew. And so I was like, okay, like, man, this was, like, one of the best things about, like, my first couple years at NC State was, you know, all these really you know, fantastic shows where you can actually talk to, like, the musicians performing and, like, get to know them and just all that stuff uh, that you don't get from, like, a normal show out at, like, King's or Cat's Cradle or whatever. And so I got a group of folks together, and uh, we were like, okay, we're going to get a house, going to, you know, have shows all the time. Then Matt walked me through his booking process. Matt is incredibly organized and good at what he does. He told me that usually a touring band reaches out to a space that a friend has played at or through the people he calls super nodes. Okay, so I'll talk through the process uh, of how it usually happens with me. So normally there's a touring band that will reach out, uh, and they'll either hear about us through um, uh, friends. Usually it's someone else who's played the house, or they're like just a few people who seem to know like everyone on Facebook. Have you heard, like, Five Degrees of Kevin Bacon or something? Yeah, these are, like, they're just a couple folks who are, like, super nodes who are really good at connecting people together on Facebook. So usually it just starts with a, a Facebook message, and they'll be like, hey, we're going to be in Raleigh, like, on, you know, November 12th. Uh, here's a link to my band camp. Here's a, a link to a noisy article about me or something like that. And, you know, normally, like, I'll I'll just check it out and, you know, uh, if I really like the tunes and, you know, we don't have other stuff going around, then uh, from that point, I'll just check with the roommates and be like, hey, you know, is it cool if so-and-so plays on this date? And, you know, no normally everyone's all good with it. Uh, and so at that point, I'll confirm it with the person messaging me on Facebook. And at that point, it's uh, I'll start looking for local folks to uh, be at the beginning of the bill. One of the coolest things, in my opinion, 
that Matt has done is help to create offshoot venues of the Radio Shack. What I mean by offshoot is that the Radio Shack will often book shows for friends' house spaces, essentially saving the other venue all the coordinating work. This is how Shrieking Shack and the Laundromat, who we will discuss later, were started. As I expected, the internet is vital to today's underground music scene. I talked to David because Matt referred him to me as a super node. He has a large internet presence, has written for music blogs in the past, and is generally very active in the scene. So my name is David Smith. Um, my internet presence and writing name is David Ford Smith because David Smith is a very generic white boy name and sometimes you have to do things to make yourself stand out. My, my connection to house shows is uh, that currently I run a venue in Raleigh with my roommates called The Radio Shack and we throw shows pretty regularly. I think we're one of like the most active house show venues in the area right now, especially for things that aren't hardcore. My history with running house shows is kind of interesting because um, I guess I've always been involved with like DIY culture. Like I grew up in Wilmington and I went to shows in high school and went to many backyard shows that would get like shut down. But I think the reason why I went to a lot of those shows was because in Wilmington uh, there used to be a venue called The Soapbox and it was largely either 18 plus or more often 21 plus. And to get into those venues you basically either had to have a fake ID or you couldn't get in. And I guess that's mainly what attracted me to DIY shows initially. So when I was younger DIY shows were always a big part of that for me. And I guess like throughout the years I've gotten more and more into that scene. Um, I, be I became friends with a lot of people from around the country who are also interested in DIY music. David moved to Raleigh when he started college at NC State, where he would eventually work at WKNC, become the music director, and start his own house venue with Matt and their friends. I think, you know, I think the way that most house shows start is you have your friends' bands play. So, like, in Raleigh, it's it would be pretty easy for us to just like, you know, be like, hey, Ghost Bond is a local Raleigh band. Like, let's book Ghost Bond. Let's book, uh, like, Truth Club or whatever other local band is around. But for me, at least, and um, for my roommate, Matt, thanks to the radio station, uh, I guess we were tapped into stuff. I, I had been tapped into stuff through blogs, but I guess through that, I started learning about a lot more national music and, like, sort of the ecosystem that exists on the east coast of like DIY bands and like where they tour and the way it works is basically like you book a couple of them by sending Facebook messages or getting in contact with friends and it's sort of a self-sustaining thing because after a while like you don't even have to try that hard like you just end up getting Facebook messages and it's like hey my buds in XYZ you know Bard, SUNY Purchase, Philadelphia band like um, recommended this venue because the show here was cool. David has a unique outlook on DIY since he has been involved in the online underground community for years. Before Spotify and Bandcamp, it was generally a lot harder to find out about smaller artists. I was writing for a blog called Decoder because one of my friends uh, helped run it. It got a lot of attention nationally because I would say between the years of 2008 and maybe 2012, there was a big underground uh, scene of blogs online. You know, it was. It was like pre-Spotify, um, like internet was getting faster but it was still kind of difficult to get mp3s and so you had this whole ecosystem of blogs and websites that would share like uh, DIY music and like 
you know, now we have Bandcamp and we have Spotify and it's it's much easier. But back then it was was literally like, hey, uh, here's an MP3. Can you like host it on your blog? And Portals is a big website for me. Um, it's just a group of people from all around the country who are really um, really inspirational to me because they they all did DIY events in their specific towns. Um, every year at South by Southwest, they would throw a big Portals event and. Um, like I went last year and they had um, Frankie Cosmos and Mitski and all these big artists that are sort of popping and indie but like they managed to get because they've they've literally been booking those artists for years like before you know Pitchfork or whoever was paying attention to them and I guess I respect that I respect anybody who is going to like look for artists before they have a lot of buzz and make venues for them. After speaking with Matt and David, I decided to talk to Caitlin Auger, who briefly ran the laundromat, an offshoot venue of the Radio Shack. The laundromat was unfortunately shut down after its first and only show. The venue was located in the basement of an old stone house off of the campus of NC State. It was intimate and homely, with all of the attendees huddled around the band with the soft glow of multicolored Christmas lights illuminating the room. Since Caitlin didn't get to host many shows, I decided to ask her why she wanted to run a DIY space, as well as how she got her show booked. Hi, um, I'm Caitlin Auger, and I'm a DJ at WKNC, and I try to help out in different places. I don't really have an official position, but my venue name is called The Laundromat. Um, I think it's really important to kind of keep the DIY scene uh, going in Raleigh, especially because I know it's just such an open scene for people to see music. And so it's just important for me to kind of like help fuel that. Obviously, since her show is connected to Radio Shack, Caitlin used her connections of Matt Brown and David Smith to book the show. We only had one at my house and I don't know if we're gonna have any more because my landlord kind of shut it down and everything. But basically, Matt Brown, who is in charge of the Radio Shack, um, knows a lot of bands and contacts and everything. And he got in contact with me wanting to host the show at the laundromat. And I think basically how he kind of does it is he knows all these people in bands already. Like, we have a lot of local artists here in Raleigh that a lot of our friends are, are in these bands. And they sort of meet other bands through tours and everything. And then they kind of want to help out these other bands they've met and then they'll try to contact you. Um, that's like Socrates had some, some bands that they had met on tour that they really wanted to help out to host in Raleigh. And they, just, they were trying to like work out something with me. Interestingly, Caitlin brought up the importance of word of mouth as well as old fashioned connections. It makes sense considering the give and take nature of DIY music, as well as the strong tight knit communities that David had mentioned have popped up across the East Coast. Next, I decided to reach out to Miriam Morand, who runs the venue called Shrieking Shack. 
Although Shrieking Shack was originally a temporary pop-up place for Radio Shack's extra shows, it has an incredibly different vibe. Almost every show I've been to there, or even just heard about, has been crazy. Pieface Girls and Swine, two local Riot Girl punk bands performed there last year for an anti-HB2 concert, performing songs like Pat McCrory is a mother and peeing on the NC flag in protest. The house is laid out so that the kitchen basically becomes the living room, making for a nice open area, which is often used for moshing. The Shrieking Shack girls have also hosted a few local art and talent showcases, which opens their venue as a platform for more than just local music. I'm Mary Morand, and I'm local music director at WKNC, and I DJ the local beat. And we run a house show venue called Shrieking Shack. I had considered it in the past, but like when I got a house, it wasn't the first thing I was going to do or why I got a house. And what happened was this girl who also works at WKNC, Yvonne, her friends she had made when she was living in Seattle were looking to have a show in the area. They're called Ihi. And they're having a hard time booking, I guess, at venues or other house show spots. So she just hit me up and was like, hey, you got a cool house. Would you be willing to host this band? And I was like, sure, we'll give it a go if you got the equipment and all that. And, you know, we booked a local opener, Happy Bandon, and it was just a lot of fun and it went really well. And after that, we just kept them coming. Since Shrieking Shack is an offshoot of Radio Shack, I was interested in learning about how they booked their shows. Honestly, a lot of times they come to us. Like, they'll know we have a lot of friends in bands who've toured and whatnot. And usually people will message me on Facebook, like, hey, my friend in whatever band said you have this house show venue. Is it possible for us to play a show on this day? And then we'll look into it, see what we can do, and then we just book local openers. Is That's generally how it goes. Sometimes we'll be like, we want to have a show on this day, and we'll just get whatever local bands were hyped about at the time to come play. During the interview, Miriam brought up another great point about house shows and DIY in general. I also think house show venues are important for, I guess, giving bands and people who venues or you know, just wouldn't ordinarily get shows or get their name out, giving them a chance to um, just show their work. I know one thing we did, we had a Shrieking Showcase, which was a thing where we combined artists in the area as well as musicians of all genres. And it was mostly bands who had were either having their first show or only had a few shows or hadn't really gotten their names out there yet and they came and played their music yeah and even some of the artists that met each other there like collaborating now or like people discovered bands that they hadn't known before and people come up to me and are like hey who was that girl that danced she was amazing like people still come up to me and talk about it so yeah I think that's the important thing with DIY spaces is creating a community where anyone can you know come in and enjoy a show or any age or even become a part of it
Finally, I got to talk with the guys from the last local venue, the Kosher Hut. Sadly, the Kosher Hut played its last gig in May 2017, but it will live on forever in the hearts of Raleigh music lovers. Kosher Hut was unlike any other music space in Raleigh. It was located in a large barn-sized garage and was decked out with crazy rainbow lights and dark surrealist art on mattresses. Their shows were not your average shows either. I've attended a punk slash drag show and one where an electronic artist wearing a horse mask and sarong fed the crowd chum chum. It's definitely eccentric. Since Kosher Hut is not run by WKNC DJs and sports a slightly different scene, I decided to sit down with the guys who run the place, James Odin, Jason Warrenhoff, Tommy Quinn, and Logan Maxwell, and to talk to them about being musicians and running the most radical venue in the Raleigh area. The Kosher Hut guys had a slightly different entry into the Raleigh DIY scene than most people I've talked to. They are all musicians and came together through a mutual love of music. In fact, the guys didn't even start the Kosher Hut. I'm James Odin. I'm the newest member, but the oldest. My name is Logan Maxwell. Yeah, my name's Tommy Quinn. And my name is Jason Warnoff. And we all live at a place known as the Kosher Hut. It's a DIY kind of underground venue near the campus of North Carolina State University. What I think is probably the most special thing about where we live is that we weren't the first to do it there. We didn't come up with the idea. It just got passed along to us by being in a music community. We're, yeah, essentially, we're just the caretakers of the... And we'll pass it to the next one, hopefully. We went to the show. We're part of a tradition, basically. Yeah, essentially, we're just the caretakers. Yeah, so each of us are musicians, and then uh, Tommy and myself both went to NC State uh, in the engineering program. So have been longtime listeners of KNC. And basically, Tommy found Jason via a... Craigslist. Yes. <laughs> Title, musical roommate, wanted. Yes, it's a love story. It really is. We all love music, play a whole bunch of music, and wanted to foster that environment and continue it. Um, and so when we started to get more involved in being in bands and seeing shows, we found that this was probably the coolest way to go about it. If uh, we don't say so yeah, ourselves. Well, well, actually, I wasn't planning on playing music at all, and I really wasn't. I didn't think anything of Rally. I didn't think I'd be, ever be playing in a band, let alone there'd be a great music scene like there is. I met John Meyer from Naked Naps, who's my neighbor and kind of like my first friend here in Raleigh. And I kind of just, I kind of just met uh, lots of people through John and then me and Tommy met. And then one night was, we were playing a show with our band with Naked Naps, uh, our band's vacant company, we were playing with Naked Naps. And uh, Katie Yerkes was just like, well, so-and-so is looking for a roommate because I was looking for a roommate. And then I met our friend Joe Wright, who was the current curator at the Kosher Hut at the time. And he said, do you want to move in? I was like, yeah, I got five other roommates. He was like, great, I got five rooms. And so we moved in and been there ever since. I came in sort of late to the whole thing because of I was going through divorce, still am, and I'm a musician, and I was like going, oh my God, 
Who's gonna want to live with a musician? Like I really somebody yeah. that wants to play all the time, all the time, the morning, the evening, blah blah blah. And then I, a friend of mine got me in touch with Joe Wright, and he was moving out, and so I ended up getting his place at the Kosher Hut, and uh, it's been really great because of. It, interestingly, I'm an acoustic musician mostly, and all these guys are like electric, and they play stuff like Nirvana and and metal and all kinds of other stuff. Logan plays sitar, which that's more up my speed and everything. But but anyway, it's like we're just it's like a, it's such a it, there's so many ideas bouncing around in that house. It's just really really wonderful and stuff. And then we have the shows, which is what this show's about. Yeah, oh the show. I think that sentiment really sums up the Kosher Hut well. For the Kosher Hut guys, DIY isn't just about creating music. It's about fostering an environment where you meet people you wouldn't normally talk to, you witness unusual performances, and you make a positive difference in the community. Each one of us books our own shows, and essentially it's your decision to do what you want to do. Obviously we have our norms of everything. But every time I personally want to book a show, I always want all of it to go to ACLU, Planned Parenthood Charity, or Safe NC. That's just the very least I think we could do as musicians right now is create the platform. And I mean, the money's important, you know, but seeing people there talking about it, having a like mind uh, is important too. But I think something we'd like to do is um, try just the, the unity theme thing. Just have, instead of having different bills dedicated to one genre of music or one kind of inclusion, uh, I think we want to have, like, we are this shows of North Carolina and have, blend all those eclectic bills into one bill. And um, the musicians meet each other, wouldn't normally meet each other. Different fan bases meet each other, they wouldn't usually meet each other. It's crazy, but everybody's still going to have a great time. As I mentioned, the guys all met through the hut and by being musicians. As one could guess, being a musician is one of the best ways in DIY culture to meet other musicians and form connections. Well, if you play in a band and you play with other bands, eventually you're there you go, oh, we played this spot in X city or whatever. And you're like, oh, wow, that's cool. Or you play with them and they need a place to crash and you played a venue together, but you can bring them back to your house and you say, oh, we actually throw shows here too. You know, and so eventually it all comes through the bands we played with. For instance, the Shea Stadium Connection came through a band that our band played with. It's not DIY related at first, but then they go, oh, well, we, you know, run a little DIY spot too. So there you guys, that connection. So it helps to be in a band and play with other bands. It really does. It's all the human connection. Every gig is worth it. So we've started plotting a map of the East Coast, essentially of places. We've got uh, Virginia, Washington, DC, now New York, and I think Jason's working on the Philly connection. Yeah, well, all the DIY spaces in all these places, there's multiple ones, obviously, in every city, but especially in, like, Philadelphia and New York, but I'm pretty sure they all know of each other. But it's all just people connection. No one has any, like, sites or anything. I think it is really cool that the Kosher Hut is connected to venues across the country, all through the modern version of word of mouth. As Jason said, DIY is a wide web. I found the Kosher Hut guys to be inspirational. They run a DIY space because they love the music and the people in the community, which when you get down to it, has been at the center of DIY since its genesis. We might serve a different niche. We might serve a different need than a, than a typical venue. I mean, we really might. I think we cultivate so. the next like group of kids and people who are going up and to see the shows. They might mm-hmm. not ever get into it because they just don't want to go out to the bars or whatever, but they come to a house slash venue and they see a band that blows their mind.
So after talking to DIY venue owners, some of my questions were answered. I was definitely right about social media playing a strong role in the connections made in the underground music scene. Obviously, it's not completely necessary. You can make good connections just by attending house shows and local shows around your area, word of mouth, or by writing or following music blogs, but it definitely makes it easier. Social media has revolutionized most of our forms of communication. Through Facebook, for example, you can reconnect with old friends you lost track of years ago or make a new friend through mutual acquaintances. It makes sense that it would be the same way for bands. I also learned that just putting your foot in the water of your local music scene can be a phenomenal way to meet bands and music lovers alike. The more you put yourself out there and commit to enjoying and helping DIY music prosper, the more people you'll meet who can help you make that goal a reality. I really like this about the Raleigh scene and DIY culture in general. I have half the story. Obviously, it's crucial to talk to the people that book and run the shows, but what about the bands that play the shows? It must be just as hard, if not harder, to make it in a DIY music scene as a band without connections. I sat down with some of the members of a few of my favorite local bands from around the Raleigh area, Kelly of Echo Courts, Quinton Moore of Truth Club, and Sierra, Lucas, and Zach from Socrates. First, I caught up with the beloved local band, Echo Courts. I spoke with Kelly the guitarist. Kelly got his start in DIY while working for UNCG's radio station, WUAG. My name is Kelly and I play guitar and sing in a band called Echo Quartz. When I was a kid, I moved from New York to um, Raleigh with my family when I was like 15. And um, you know, like just didn't really know anybody. So um, I was like, hey, I guess I'll just like try to learn how to play the guitar and not having any friends or whatever. I would just like hang out all day at my house and play guitar and stuff. Um, I wasn't actually in a band until college, but that's how I started like playing music and got really interested in it and stuff. This particular band, I started it with my friend Jacob in Greensboro. You know, we just like started recording and then we were like, oh, we should like play a show too because that would be cool, right? Because we're recording a record. So then we did that, uh, and that was in Greensboro, but I think like maybe the second show ever we played was at King's in Raleigh. He was able to form connections in Greensboro by being a DJ and attending house shows, which would eventually help him start several bands and book shows in Greensboro and Raleigh. I was working at a radio station at UNCG, and like, you know, when you're in college and stuff, it's like all about that, like tighten it, all your friends and like, you know, you're going to house shows and stuff. And my friends were in bands and I was going to see shows and I was like, huh, that sounds fun and looks fun. So I just started doing it. And then after a time it got more serious, you know, I got way more into it, not just playing shows in like North Carolina and stuff. But at first it was really just like all just for fun, you know? just to like play shows with your friends and stuff. After graduating from college, Kelly stayed in the Greensboro area and eventually formed Echo Courts. At first, he never wanted to play gigs in his hometown, but after a while, he realized that playing and booking shows in your own town was a great way to meet other bands and make connections around the country. Just playing music for so long and everybody went like, 
when they graduate from college, most people like move out and it's not like they like stop playing music altogether. So you can kind of like tap on them and be like, hey, like trying to book a show in Providence. And unless they're just like totally not into helping you, they can at least be like, oh, we'll hit up this guy, you know? And like it, a lot of it is just like blind Facebook messages. Like, hi, my name is Kelly and I'm friends with so-and-so. And usually people will get back to you. Actually, like half the time. But you just have to have like a list and you know, you like you sit there. It's like office work, really. It's impossible to field all of those like inquiries, you know? I mean, we haven't played a show in like eight months and I still probably every week get somebody that's like, hey, we're coming through. And I just have to be like, oh, like, you know, we're not doing shows right now. But especially when I was like really into booking shows, I was like booking shows just for venues in Greensboro sometimes if I felt like it, you know, trying to hook people up with shows in town, even if we couldn't play, then it's just like the floodgates kind of open and it's like everybody hits you up. You know, you can always like network wherever you go. I think that like as long as your goal isn't simply advancing yourself, I was always stoked to like help bands out with shows in Greensboro and it's a little bit harder here, but I still do everything that I possibly can to like try to help people out. Just like, don't be a jerk. <laughs> then people will like you and uh, you'll end up playing shows and stuff. Kelly has an unparalleled viewpoint as he has been a college DJ, part of a band and a super note. also got to talk to a KNC favorite, Socrates. Besides having a fantastically punny band name, Socrates is an emo punk band comprised of all NC State students, including one WKNC DJ. Alright, uh, I'm Zach. I'm Sierra. I'm Lucas. Three, two, one. And we're Socrates! <laughs> so we got started as a band. I like to say that uh, Apathy was the catalyst. So Zach and I were in um, Introduction to Entrepreneurial Thinking, EI 201, <laughs> with Jennifer Capps, little Jennifer Capps. And we were supposed to put together a project where we introduced ourselves and all of our talents and abilities and put it in a slideshow. Uh, and through that, we were supposed to look at everybody's stats. And there were like 100 people in this class. And then assemble a team that we thought would best like come together and produce a, an entrepreneurial project. Um, and Zach and I happened to be sitting next to each other on the day when we were supposed to have our like dream teams together. And we had never met each other. And we just turned and, uh, and mutually agreed that we would be comfortable getting a B. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we got together with, a, with a, like a super senior math major and like a business major. And we ended up ripping off um, Campus Movie Fest. Yep. But we did it for high schoolers, uh, and that was our entrepreneurial project. <laughs> so on one of the last nights that we were like working on the project, we like showed each other mu the music that we were listening to individually, and it kind of matched up. And then he learned that I played music, and then I learned that he played music. And uh, that summer was the first time we got together. And then Sierra came 
couple of months later. I was waiting. I was waiting for that text message. Like, I was like, oh, they have this drummer. Like, I guess not. I was playing drums originally, and then we were at a museum mouth show at Nice Price, and Zach introduced me to Sierra, and he's like, oh, she plays drums. And I said, well, I'm going to guess that she's better than me. <laughs> We, our first show was at the station in Carborough. I don't want to talk about that one. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, so like uh, we did that one show at the station, and then basically it was like Matt Brown and Radio Shack. We played like how many gigs there? Like three in like, two like, months. <laughs> yeah, like it was just Radio Shack. Yeah, and then like uh, we also played at like Slim's uh, in downtown Raleigh. Yeah, this band came through twice called Eureka, California, and they we played with them uh, and they gave us kind of the chance to actually play in real venues. Um, we we went down, they got us, I don't know why they decided to do this, but they got us on <laughs> Athens Pop Fest and then we went down there and played and stayed at their house. So we, we owe everything to, <laughs> to Eureka, California. <laughs> Very nice. Right off the bat, I learned from Socrates that it helps to have connections to play shows. It gave them an inn and a place to get their name and music out. Just as in the Manchester music scene in the early 80s, it takes more than just gig connections to be a successful band. So we played at Slim's and like, this was like, the, I think this was the first time we had played like a venue show together and I still had no idea how to do any, any of this. Eureka California is upstairs and we just went up there and started talking to them and like we ended up having like a good conversation and then after our sets we hung out a little bit and so after that, we just kind of stayed in touch, and anytime they come through down here, we'll set up a gig for them anytime they help us out down there. And so it's just it's really cool because we just met randomly at Slim's, and they're really cool people. And so They search for Raleigh on Bandcamp. I don't know if they do this for, like, all their shows, but they just found us, and we were like, this is a good band. Why do they want to play with us? <laughs> um, so they messaged us, like emailed us from Bandcamp, and then so that's when like all the meeting stuff that Zach was talking about happened. So we just like hit it off. It's just a referral system, you know. I don't think a lot of people get shows just from having recorded music. We definitely got our first show because Sierra is a, a DJ, and so band-to-band connections are so important. DIY bands especially understand the necessary symbiotic dynamic in the music world. A touring band like Eureka, California may need an opener for their gig in Raleigh. The local band, like Socrates, will benefit not only from the gig, but also from the connection they made. The touring band can also get an advantage from their connection if their band or a friend's band ever plays in Raleigh again. Socrates benefited in the long run when they got to play at Athens Pop Fest and started playing bigger gigs around the Triangle. In the end, everybody won. College radio is incredibly important to the North Carolina DIY culture. This shouldn't come as a surprise. I mean, it's how I got started and what inspired my documentary. All the bands that I interviewed had some sort of connection with college radio. College radio serves as an intermediary, in my opinion, between the bands and the rest of the music world. 
Back in the 1980s, many bands like R.E.M. got their kick off of college radio. It's interesting that 30 years later, and in a completely different environment, that the DIY scene still holds the same core values of the punks. However, it's not surprising. DIY punk was invented as a way to avoid and reject the commercialism of the music industry at the time. They rejected the large expenses needed for traditional music production and instead recorded in their friends' unofficial recording studios, fabricating their own record labels. Established bands helped foster up-and-coming groups. I see little difference between the Manchester punks and the Raleigh indie heads. We're a group of young, motivated people with a plan for change. When I talked to David, he mentioned that live music in 2017 was made to sell alcohol. That struck a chord with me. Like it or not, commercial top 40 music is made to sell. That doesn't make it any better or worse than DIY, but it does carry a contrastive vibe to the DIY world. The DIY scene in Raleigh is not looking to make money. In fact, everyone involved knows that this will probably never be profitable. But it's not about the money, the fame, or the glory. It's just about hanging out with people of similar interests and enjoying and supporting good local art. It's not competitive, it's communal. Yeah, I think it's just it being the alternative option that makes it even more enticing to people to come, that it's it's not the usual, it's something they might not have heard of, but um, it's something that, you know, it's free and in some ways free from the grips of like capitalism. So yes, I got my answers. I learned about how bands and bookers alike make their connections. Now I've got to get cheesy on you guys. It's not the scene that makes the connections, the beautiful homemade melange that it is. It's the connections that make the scene worthwhile. It's what the punks had that Top 40 never will. A group of people dedicated to a love of music and a common goal of sharing it with others. So much so that they are willing to make sacrifices and help those around them to make it happen. I think that is awesome. Going forward from this documentary, I hope one day to foster my own DIY venue. I just really love everything that owning and operating your own venue means. It's so much more than hosting any old college party. You're creating an inclusive space to share music and art with your community of friends. Yes, going to house shows is fun, but with each new venue and each show hosted, we've helped to create the Raleigh living room experience. I'd like to thank everyone who helped me create my first documentary and complete one of my life goals. This has been The Living Room Experience by Marissa Jordan. Songs in order of appearance are Hotheads by Terry, Instrumental by Galaxy 500, Steady on My Mind by Parquet Quartz, Fuck You I'm Pretty by Pie Face Girls, The Gift by The Velvet Underground, In the Garden Part 2 by Echo Quartz, Aftertaste by Socrates and Gold Dust by Duster.